Welcome to the Origins Podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Krauss. I'm recording this introduction at home here during the pandemic, but the episode you're about to see or hear was recorded before the pandemic. Nevertheless, it's just as timely now as it was then. I'm also happy to say that we recorded several other episodes before the pandemic, so we'll be able to continue to release Origins Podcasts into the future. And I hope if you're continuing to stay home during this time, that these podcasts will help make your time at home a little more interesting. In the meantime, stay safe and wash your hands. Hello, and welcome to the Origins Podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Krauss. In this episode, I'll talk to George Church, who's one of the most creative and out-of-the-box thinkers I've ever met. As a scientist, He's been a leader in the emerging field of synthetic biology. Indeed, some call him the father of the field. He's pioneered new methods of gene sequencing and most recently led in the development of techniques to use CRISPR technology for genetic modification. And his organization holds one of the fundamental patents for this technique. Along with the biologist Craig Venter, he's helping redefine what we mean by life itself. I talked to him in his busy office at the Harvard Medical School about this question as well as his proposal to use microbes not to make fuel, but rather to create plastics for buildings to sequester carbon from the atmosphere. The uses and concerns about CRISPR, using DNA for computer storage, growing brains in the laboratory, and resurrecting the woolly mammoth. Not for fun, but to help restore the flora and fauna of the far north. We just had time to scratch the surface of what this amazing scientist is thinking about and doing, and its implications for our world. I hope to have him back on again sometime. Patreon subscribers can find the full video of all of our programs as soon as they appear at patreon.com slash origins podcast. I know you're going to enjoy this show. George, it is great to be here with you talking. I I have to tell you that I don't think I've ever had a conversation with you when I haven't come away thinking about the world differently than I did before. So we'll see if it's... Uh, welcome to my lair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great to be in your lair here. And uh, and thanks for welcoming us to it. Um, before, you know, there's so many things I want to talk about and, and, and I'm happy to answer questions of yours too. But I thought I might ask you what, what led you to genetics to to the to the path you did why that kind of science rather than any other kind of science well i think uh pretty much every age i never wanted to specialize and so i was always looking for something that really where it it was intrinsically multidisciplinary Mm -hmm. and uh the first thing i think i found that really fit that was uh x-ray crystallography of macromolecules uh which i found when i was uh, just 19, and uh, hmm. and I, uh, Sung Ho Kim was the head of the lab, uh-huh. and I was basically I was, I was just looking at like the the, the sheet of possible jobs I could uh-huh. do to to make make a little money in my spare time, and and I saw one that I said I don't I don't care uh-huh. <laughs> uh, whether they pay me I'll do this one, and uh, after after a few minutes talking to Sung Ho Kim uh, it was quite clear um, because it involved. You needed you needed to have the physics of diffraction, yeah. the math and computers to do yeah. the Fourier transforms. You needed the the chemistry of the bonds, and then you needed the biology of what the function of the macromolecule yeah. was. And so it's just like the whole 
the whole picture. And then ever since that, I've been just trying to look to ad adjust those lessons learned into lots of other fields of science, uh, uh, starting from that. But when you were 19, you didn't know Fourier analysis. Did you already know Fourier analysis and all that stuff? Yeah, I, I knew pieces of all those things. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Do I, so, you're do, what was your first degree in? I mean, was it? Did you study? Well, I didn't all have my degree yet. I yeah, was, I know. I was, that a, was, I was a, um, a sophomore when I joined wow. his lab. I did finish my degree that year in in uh, chemistry and biology. Chemistry. Although I, I must say I was a bit more. I was the reason I picked that university, yeah. Duke, was because. I had really great AP scores in math and physics, uh -huh. and I had lousy scores in biology <laughs> and chemistry. And uh, I really, and I just, I just didn't take that many courses in uh, um, uh, math and uh, physics and computer science because I felt that I, I, I just couldn't m manage to take the courses that I, were, I felt I already knew what was going oh, on. Yeah. Interesting. And, and in biology and chemistry, I had a similar attitude. I skipped the, the first couple of years. Because, mainly because I didn't want to hang out with the pre-med. So I got yeah. nothing against pre-med. I was sort of pre-med myself, but yeah. it's just, they were cutthroat. They were yeah. they were yeah, like, I, I they that. were faking their exam yeah. results yeah. and stuff like that. That's awful. And so I just I just skipped to the upper level courses. It's, yeah. In fact, I, it's, I kind of wish most kids could skip to upper level courses because often the introductory <laughs> courses turn yeah. people off from yeah. whatever discipline they're going to yeah. be in. It's really kind of sad. I, I ended up skipping the first year in, in most things, yeah. um, except they wouldn't let me skip first year in physics, which was so bad yeah. that I told the chairman of the department eventually that I was just going to quit after December. But at that yeah. point, they decided I could jump yeah. into second. But yeah. when I was a graduate student in physics, I became depressed about what I was doing, as I think a lot of graduate students do. And I thought I, I was at MIT and I was doing PhD in particle physics, and I, and, uh, I thought of doing a... Um, uh, eventually doing a PhD MD and doing a PhD in biophysics. Yeah. And this was 1979 or 80. And I yeah. went to, the, at that time, the head of cell biology at Harvard, who was a uncle of a friend of mine. And I, and I, I said, what do you think? Should I do this? And he said, no, don't do it. Because biophysics isn't of interest to biologists and isn't of interest to physicists. <laughs> and pr probably in 1980 it was, but yeah. the world has yeah. changed. I mean, right. the techniques of physics, the qu the problems in biology are, are physics problems and vice yeah. versa. Those fields have disappeared. Yeah. And in some sense, you know, X-ray crystallography is an example, the yeah. thing that in, in, enticed yeah. you into, yeah. into, into biology. Yeah, that, that was 1973. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but it's yeah. true. But I, you know, at this point, I don't know whether it had it had diffused into the community. Yeah. Uh, but now, of course, it's it's amazing to see how those fields have have sort yeah. of merged together. Yeah. And uh, but speaking of merged together, I couldn't help noticing in your book, Regenesis, um, that. You know, I have a bone to pick. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Not a bone to pick, but, uh, you know, I, this chapter two is the greatest story ever. Yeah. And, of course, I read a book about the greatest, book. Story ever yeah. told, yeah. the greatest story ever told. So why don't you, why don't you, why don't you explain why you think that, that that's the story of the genome, in some sense, is the yeah. greatest story ever? Oh, the, that, was, that was my story. And your, <laughs> your story is the whole universe, which is a much bigger thing. Um, I wrote mine in 2012. Yours was... <laughs> Uh, probably uh, that book came out in two thousand, uh, actually two thousand fourteen. So I probably okay. yeah yeah. I, I, but anyway, there were different stories. And, yeah, and and, and in I, a way. And I, 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 I forget exactly how I introduced it to, in in the book, but it, but the idea was that there was the story that involved um, dramatic life and death yeah. and sex and yeah, and all okay. this, and uh, because we're the winners. Uh, 
the people that yeah, were yeah, reading this story yeah, were all yeah. winners because all our ancestors, all the way back to the dawn of time, yeah. had won these incredible, unlikely odds. You know, yeah. like almost every generation would be a a one percent odd that you would survive to have children. Yeah, and uh, and so you just multiply all those things out, yeah, and it's, it's infinitesimal. So. Yeah. Um, that was part of the reason it was a, a great story, but it also was like the story of all of us, and uh, it was a story that uh, you know that we, that we could share. And um, well, and, and it, it, it was kind of it's connectivity, personal. yeah. Yeah, it's personal and to it's us, personal. It's, and and yeah. you and you're right. I mean, and as you said, it has drama, it has sex, it has every yeah. Yeah. every everything. And in some ways, what I found interesting is you related to the fact that when one thinks about Part of you have so many hats; it's hard to classify you, which is great. Yeah. But part the pat the synthetic biology hat, at least, is in some sense retracing those steps. And yeah. and I, as you talked about it, maybe and I think uh, we good to talk about that because you know you point out that I think that famous quote that basically in the process of of uh, in utero you basically go through the evolutionary phases of a, yeah. uh, that led to humans and and in some sense that way that's what one is doing when one's dissecting our genome or potentially changing it is sometimes going back in time so what uh, why don't you elaborate on that in a way it's more coherent than what i just said so that was one of the themes of the book was this this narrative stream mm -hmm. uh, that covered uh, uh ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny or yeah, or the right. or the Developmental biology recapitulates the the evolution of, of species, um, and so this was a question of whether we're recapitulating technologically and industrially mm -hmm. all the stages of evolution. So it was kind of a, a hypothesis or a, a theme to make people think simultaneously about these two timelines: the mm -hmm. the technological timeline and the natural evolution. And a lot of you know, you, your first temptation is to say, well, evolution is completely different from engineering. Uh, in fact, the whole anthropomorphism of evolution where you say this was created mm -hmm. or this was designed yeah. um, rather than, well, but they actually have a lot more in common, which is that the engineers do a whole lot by trial and error. Oh, I yeah. mean, that most amazing engineered things have been through the most cycles of trial and error. Yeah, you don't see all those things. Yeah. It looks like a yeah. path to success, yeah. but. And, and so, so in a certain sense, the commonality is the mutation and selection, which occurred in both the original long pathway that took uh, yeah. billions of years, and then the short pathway that's been more like millennia. Well, first, you know, it's interesting to me that, that that illusion of engineering being sort of a series of intelligent steps, which is really yeah, not highly often the theoretical. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, you know, and but it's first, true. first time. <laughs> it's but it, we we perpetuate that myth also, unfortunately, when we teach science, right? Yeah. Often it's we teach it after the fact as if it's a logical progression. Right, exactly. When of course, in the actual act right. of it, it's nothing like that. It's yeah. it's a series of trial and error, usually, yeah, right. and most often error. Yeah. And very rarely success. Yeah. But I think that's what probably for many young people, one of the hardest parts of, I guess, the, especially the change from undergraduate to graduate is the realization that 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 a lot of what you're going to do isn't going to succeed. And oh, I, yeah. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. I, and we do them a disservice, right? We give kids problem sets where they're, in physics at least, where yeah. they're always guaranteed to get the answer. And right, then right. we throw them in. in yeah. uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a hard transition. But also, I guess people... I'm thinking of Francis Arnold now and, and people who, who in some ways are trying to take a lesson from, a real explicit lesson from evolution in doing engineering. Yeah. Instead of actually trying to understand the pathway that goes from A to B, just 
trying a lot of possibilities and right. letting nature sort of find the pathway and right. maybe not even worrying about why or what the underlying mechanism is. Right. Do, how, I mean, how do you feel? Are you, would you be, will you be happy with a black box that basically did what you wanted to do in terms of synthetic biology without knowing the underlying mechanism? Not entirely happy, but I think I do align with Frances when mm -hmm. she says that, uh, you know, she uses evolution. Yeah. Uh, in the world of synthetic biology, which was mostly in its early days dominated by uh, computer science mm -hmm. uh, thought, yeah. is that you would make circuits, you would yeah. design logical Boolean uh, al algebra in, inside the cell. I was an outlier, and I guess Frances was as well, on the side of well, no, it's much more complicated than that. We're gonna, what we really want to do is design clever selection mechanisms and then where, where we really get what we want, uh, no matter how complicated it is. So I do a lot of black box. So there, there was another uh, theme meme at the beginning of synthetic biology was making everything simple so that you could you could engineer the, because it's simple and you, you you rip out all the parts you don't understand and you're left with a minimal cell and you know i was tempted for a few microseconds to that way of thinking and i, I said well actually you know i'd prefer to have a maximal cell than a minimal cell you know <laughs> you know it's like uh you know when i started building computers i built yeah. minimal computers i don't yeah. want i don't want to go back to that <laughs> I, I want something that's all tricked out with 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 every kind of peripheral you want as much memory as you want i want to be i want to be able to write you know really uh, uh complex uh software not i don't need to strip it out in order to make uh, good software well know? that's interesting i mean i you know i've off, i've known you and craig venter independently for a while now you've you've crossed yeah. path and worked yeah. but you know so how, I mean, Craig was always trying, well, at least for a long time in synthetic biology, was trying to talk about creating literally the minimal life form, right? right? Yeah, I mean, I, I like Craig, uh, you know, I've known him since 89, and, and, and we tend to do things more alike than, than yeah. other people in our it's, field. So, yeah. you know, like we both did bioenergy at the, at the yeah. same time, we both did uh, genome synthesis yeah. when everybody else was doing other forms of synthetic yeah. biology. And we both sequenced our own genomes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of similarity, but I think in terms of minimal genome, I sort of felt like you, it was there was no point. I, I just didn't see the point and the purpose of it, and I didn't see how you could achieve it. So, for example, in addition to Craig, I also knew Jack Shostak, and I yeah. knew that his minimal genome was going to be an RNA that could make a copy of itself. So yeah. it'd be a ribozyme making a copy of itself. And that's basically one really small gene yeah. and maybe a few lipids, and that's your minimal cell. And I, I say, it's gonna take a long time, it's like slowly reducing from mm. a bacterium down yeah. to that to mm -hmm. down to that one, you know, mm. 200 base pair thing. Mm -hmm. And I said, why not just build it up from, you know, why not, you know, and I just sort of felt like, no, I'm gonna go the opposite direction. I'm gonna go for really complicated things. And so I started saying, well, can we synthesize mammalian genomes, you know, yeah. that, that are thousands of times bigger yeah. than than the bacterial genomes? And so, and that's uh and, and we can do everything in between. I mean, there's there's, there's well, no, well, we'll there's get no to particular. Some of the, yeah. yeah, well, we'll get to some of the interesting mammalian genomes you want to oh. synthesize there. Yeah, at, right. at, 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 we'll get yeah. we'll get there, I guess. Yeah. But um, because of course that's an area people are fascinated by and terrified by at the same yeah. time, and, and yeah. so I think it's worth a discussion. But let's actually, you know, let's go even to more. We talk about your origins, and, and I know in your book you began to talk about this. But this, of course, is something that's that 
that I first thought was an easy, easily answered question, and then I decided I, I wasn't sure if I could answer it, and which, which is, what's the difference between life and non-life? Right. Yeah, I think part of the... So this, Hank, this is... A, a lot of people get hung up on this, uh, and I think part of the problem is they're trying to make a dichotomy, mm-hmm. and, and it would be like, what's the difference between long and short? And what's the difference between hot and cold? And what's the difference between um, heavy and light? And in physics, we have we we've we've settled this problem right? because <laughs> we've got the meter. It's, yeah. it's a continuous <laughs> thing that goes yeah. from yeah. from from picometers or yeah. or shorter all the way up to 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 uh, you know ten to the fortieth or something. So, and and the same thing for almost almost all the very useful measures in physics are. Continuous yeah, and 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 breadth. Now there are some things that are quantized, yeah. um, but they're, rel- they're relatively few. Uh, and anyway, I think in the case of life, if you take it from that perspective, you can say, well, what would be the continuum? What would be the value of the continuum? And and I felt the thing, the defining feature. You know, the, the, the various definitions you know, like metabolism and evolution and, you know, those sorts of, but I think the distinguishing feature that you know it when you see it is replicated complexity. It's not complexity mm-hmm. because, you know, like if you take a frog and dissociate its atoms, it yeah. actually is more complex than the original frog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's not replicated things because a salt crystal is a nice, beautiful, organized yeah. replication mm-hmm. of, of sodium and chloride. It's the mixture. It's, it's, if you take something as complicated, that's not interesting. But if you have two of them, and you say, how is that possible? Yeah. You know, it's the, the, the odds of having two complicated structures is infinitesimal, so they must have replicated. Yeah, right? yeah so, I mean, and that's the, the mystery. I was going to say miracle. There aren't any miracles. The mystery of life, which, of no. course, uh, is fascinating. People like Shostak and everyone, I guess, in no. some ways, fascinating to understand how you can, how something as complex as even RNA could be, could be replicated. Right. A, you know, what made me realize that this issue of replication and complexity is, is more subtle is when someone said to me when I talked about what life was, that, that in many ways, fire has many of the characteristics yes, of life. It's got metabolism. Yeah. It get, yeah. replicates. Fire, it you know, and It can and even mutate. I, it, I even played out a scenario. It, yeah, it, right. Yeah. It mutates. And in some sense, some people say faithful replication, but in fact, fires, you know, certain kind of forest fires have, have are faithfully replicated yeah, right. as they jump across. So it's yeah. it's kind of interesting, but no yeah. one would say it's life. So it's... A, it's well, a, it's on my spectrum. <laughs> yeah. It's so a, if you tolerate that life is mm-hmm. a spectrum, then it's on that spectrum. Well, let me jump ahead now to the future, and then we'll go in between. But what will life be like a hundred years from now? Will will life be the same thing? Will life have the same meaning? Well, so hundred years can seem very short and very long, depending yeah. on your perspective. If you go a hundred years back, life isn't hasn't changed that much. Yeah, I mean, sure. certainly our culture has changed quite sure. a bit, but the 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 biology hasn't changed that much. Um, I think one thing that people neglect is how much we inherit that's not DNA. Uh, and so things could be quite different, even though our DNA is, is, it, the, is the same. same. Yeah. 100 years seems like it's short and that it's like only 10 cycles of FDA approval, you know, <laughs> about 10 years each. Um, but it's a long time when you think of it in terms of the revolutions that I've personally experienced. So I I've, 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 was involved in some level, the exponential curves that involve reading and writing data and DNA. Yeah. Um, you know, 
basically almost within one year, we went from no inter, no web to uh-huh. web. Yeah. Uh, uh, we went from, uh, I mean, we had the internet before yeah. that, but yeah. we didn't have like really, yeah. nobody was using it for, for us, web. Phys- yeah, uh, no, uns- physicists were trying death yeah. little bits, but yeah. then it suddenly yeah. boomed over the world yeah. wide web. And, uh, and then we had, um, you know, reading and writing DNA improved by 10 million fold in less than a decade each. Yeah, Editing has been about 10,000 fold in a, in a few years. Um, so if that can happen in five to 10 years, each yeah. of those revolutions, and they're multiplicative, yeah. you know, yeah. where, where they build on each other uh-huh. and, and accelerate, it's not just... Uh, a 10 million fold plus 10 million yeah, fold is 10 yeah. million fold times 10 million fold. I, it's really hard to predict what could happen. My guess is uh, we, it, it's one of these things that's very uh, unpredictable tipping point kind of thing. If we culturally decide that we're going to change ourselves, we will be unrecognizable in 100 years. And that's yeah. what scares us. Yeah. If we decide we're going to not do that, then we will be totally recognizable biologically, mm-hmm. but completely unrecognizable culturally, yeah. uh, because we we have this double standard where you can you can do radical surgery to the human inheritance uh-huh. as long as it doesn't involve DNA. <laughs> so in other words, you know, like my cell phone is is heritable. I've watched yeah. my daughter and her daughter yeah. uh, use cell phones yeah, that yeah, look yeah. just like mine, yeah. and. Uh, on the other hand, they don't really look that much like me biologically. <laughs> I mean, and uh, so I think that, that in a certain sense, our cultural evolution is going faster. Oh, sure. It's it's, much- uh, it goes horizontal yeah. better. In other words, if, if, I, if I say something in this microphone yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's alluring, yeah. everybody will do it, you know, yeah. right? And yeah. uh, so I, I think 100 years now, we're going to be unrecognizable on some in some major way, even if we still have exactly the same human genome distribution that we have today, it won't play out the same. And to what extent cultural evolution can keep up or uh, anticipate or, or deal with with an exponentially growing technology is, is a, well, it's what the Well, technology is part of culture. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But so, I mean, of course, it, it keeps up. It, yeah. Well, it keeps up, but it's confronted by it. And yeah. when people, some people would like to control it, and some people realize it's what's going to happen is going to happen at some yeah. point. And, and right. uh, but I mean, the reason I'm asking is it, it's quite possible, given the technologies that are, have changed dramatically, even in the time I've known you, yeah. that we will be able to not only manipulate life, change life, and, and, and well, not only create new life forms, but maybe change what the meaning of, the very meaning of life in a biological sense. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I don't know where it's heading, but, but we're I- We're changing the most fundamental parts of it. Whether yeah. or not we change the human part of it, we're changing. So we have a new set of, of DNA bases, RNA bases, pro- protein, amino acids, mm. They're, they're no longer limited to the original four and yeah. the original 20. Yeah. Um, so those are uh, the genetic code, which is one of the things that's conserved uh, across all species yeah. you know, with minor modification. Now we can change that arbitrarily. We can make any new genetic code we want. And so these are, these are the foundations. Uh, we're getting control of developmental biology so that it may be the the, the 3D printer of the future, yeah. you know, because instead of having one print head that doesn't scale well, yeah. you've got a trillion tr- print heads. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, that, I mean, life, well, we'll talk about it. I mean, in fact, life, utilizing life both for computation and and 
and reproduction in many ways is yeah. uh, will be. Well, again, I have to admit, I I haven't thought of those things. I think till some conversations we've had or huh. over here, the, the the limitless possibilities of using what is a remarkable chemistry set and set of physical tools to do things that we might not have had a, the intelligence to actually design ourselves and and, yeah. and use. It's yeah. and I think, well, of course, as I say, some people are terrified by that. But I guess, well, a related question. We're jumping all around, but that's fine. A related question is, a lot of people, for example, are concerned about cloning humans, oh. okay? And concerned about various a aspects of, of, of synthetic biology and, oh. and now with the new tools. My attitude has always been that unless, unless it, it violates some u universal human moray to the extent that there are any, oh. that what is possible will happen. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, I don't know. Do, do you think so, or do you think the f I, people will be so self-regulating that 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 they'll not do things that could be done? Well, I, I neither buy the inevitability argument nor the regulation argument. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I think it is nothing. Nothing's truly inevitable. There are some things that we have banned, and they stay banned, uh, or. Or they are just unpopular, you know, mm -hmm. like jetpacks, for yeah, example. Right. Yeah, it's just you don't have to ban them. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, well, they don't work very well. But yeah, if you could, that, but if you could buy one kind of, on Amazon, I think maybe you know uh, they get zero stars and then they, <laughs> yeah. they, they, they disappear. You know. So what happens is is that the regulations are kind of a facade uh, mm -hmm. that masks the capitalism that's actually calling the shots. Yeah, sure. When we vote in the in the ballots, yeah. you know, that's a, a stand-in for where we're really voting, which is our wallet. So it's yeah. ballot versus wallet. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that uh, when we are uh, concerned about the future, we should be, you know, it's, it's yeah. good to have those conversations as far in advance as we want to have them and yeah, keep sure. having them. And and then when it comes, it's, we're not reacting to it. Yeah, well, we, we've done a little bit of proactive well, thought. I think, in, it was a, I think it was a biologist who said, in fact, maybe the the street we're on is named after him. I think he was the one who said, fortune favors the prepared mind. Wasn't it Pasteur? Pasteur. Yeah, I think it was. So uh, <laughs> anyway, the, so I, I, you know, I think that uh, the thing about genetically modifying babies, let's say, uh, or uh, germline, yeah. where it will be passed on for generation yeah. to generation, is one of these things where we get hung up uh, on drawing lines and we draw lines in the wrong place, right? In other words, we say, oh, here's a convenient place to draw a line because yeah. germline and, and soma, the body yeah. is totally yeah. different. But, uh, and sometimes we'll draw a line in the wrong place where it's really a continuum yeah. and you can draw it really anywhere. Yeah. And people are scared about regulating continuum because you because there's this, you know, the line could slip. It's like mm. the continuum for speed limit, right? Yeah. It did slip. You know, for a while oh, we were right. we were driving at 80 miles an yeah. hour or higher on yeah. the Audubon. Yeah. And then the the gas crisis hit mm. and we started saving, uh, we started cutting the miles per hour and we started saving lives. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, but, so regulating on continuum is hard, but it, we do it all the time. Most of the things we do on that. Uh, you know, but it, when we, well, when we, we say, here's the dividing line that everything, Everything that's dangerous is on the germline side, and everything that's safe is on the soma side because that's where we've been doing pharmaceuticals all along. Yeah, that's false assurance. That's yeah. the thing that's dangerous is that if 
to engineer, assuming that we're going to have this normal safety and efficacy, yeah. and we're worried about something above and beyond safety and efficacy, we're talking yeah. maybe long-term safety or equitable distribution or something like that. Yeah. The, the germline takes 20 to 80 years to debug. In other yeah. words, if we want to make a baby that's safe from Alzheimer's, yeah. that's that's 80-year design yeah. test build yeah. uh, cycle. Yeah, that ain't gonna happen. That's gonna happen just as likely as a jetpack. Yeah, but if we want to prevent Alzheimer's in people that are, you know, 70 years yeah. old, then that's something you get a good idea, yeah. you implement it. It's gonna spread like wildfire through our aging population, and then it's gonna spread horizontally in adjacent people who don't have Alzheimer's, yeah. who, you know, their kids said, hey, that works so well for my dad, <laughs> I'm gonna take some, and then they become enhanced. And so this whole idea that, oh, we're not gonna do enhanced, and oh, germline is where we draw the line. Uh, it's artificial. It, it, we should be paying attention to the revolutions that can occur in somatic change, and not just, not just DNA. Well, you know, again, seeing it as a physicist from the outside, this artificial line is really remarkable. The first time it really hit me in biology was I was lecturing at a medical school in Chicago, I guess, and and it was a um, it was a reproductive biology that you know they helped uh, reproductive health and and I was taking an in, in, in vitro fertilization program and seeing it. And then when I discovered, and it always amazed me when people talk about the moment of conception, when you look at the at the continuum that happens there, it's not clear what what moment you're talking about. No. I mean, there's so many steps. It's not yeah. as if it's boom. It's just, you know, a life form. Sure, there's a sperm and egg, but I mean, all these, divi every every well, step along the well, way. Well, there's even a 14-day rule, right? Yeah. Which, which is something happens at 14 days that causes us to not want to take in vitro fertilization beyond that. So, uh -huh. so the magic isn't at the one cell or the yeah. two cell stage. It's somehow at 14 days. And it has something to do with how identical twins that's like the last time that they can form mm -hmm. and therefore the identity you know, the the soul or the yeah, identity is yeah. formed at that point but then there are other things where we're clearly taking embryonic parts to much you know longer times you know yeah. it's like we're building uh as long as we build the parts that's okay you know so that there's interesting how how you Figure out how many angels can dance on yeah. the head of a pen. But it's more—it's more than just an academic question. And this is—I I mean, I, you've now written this book, and 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 are asked to speak a lot in in different contexts than just in the acad academia. We make laws and regulations, and if they're not informed by reality, then they're then they they're pernicious, at least in my opinion. Yeah. And um, the issue of, of of abortion, which is of course a hot button issue in this in this country is based on so many, yeah, it, there's moral and ethical questions which may transcend them at some level, but but to be based often on no, uh, on incorrect biology yeah. is a problem. So how is, how can we, is what, any suggestions for trying to improve that? Well, I mean, I, I uh, tend to be pretty laissez-faire is, is if people want to, uh, you know, have reproduction one way or another. Yeah. If they want to have, if they want to ban abortion in yeah. their family or their community, yeah. then that's that's their prerogative. It doesn't have to be based on facts, yeah. uh, or it doesn't have to be based on my facts. Certainly, you know. So, but uh, but it's but of course it's fine. I mean, people can always say, but no person is an island. So yeah, sure, they can decide not to have an abortion or or their family. But what but what if they want to affect the way you make a decision? Is that are you? That's not let's say well, fair. Well, if anymore. they're if they're in the 
they're in the legislature, if, if, if they're in the they, federal if government. If they're in the majority, the then they can make me do whatever they want, really, to yeah. some extent. And my only options are to leave the country or or the planet or something, you know. <laughs> uh, well, as you know, scientists, so generally you can... speaking, they you know that they they don't uh, uh, interfere with uh, because they realize that if the fifty one percent forces the forty nine percent to do something they don't like. Then, it's only a few days before the 49% is the 51% and they're going to reciprocate. So I think you're generous in terms yeah. of people's understanding of what's going to happen next when they're, <laughs> when they're working hard. Yeah. And, you know, I do. And But I think, well, let me put it this way. Do you think, I often have this issue because I'm a scientist who spent a lot of time talking and speaking and writing for the public and, and for a variety of reasons. Um, and young people, often young scientists come up to me and say, how can I, how can I do, what, do what you've done? And I usually tell them, if they're, that if they're good young scientists, they should be doing science. The best yeah. thing they can do, if they're talented, is yeah. to do the science. And if they do good science, that the opportunities, if they're interested in social issues or political yeah. issues or, or, or communication of science or education, those opportunities will come up in, in, in increasing frequency and larger scale, the better the science they do. But right. that's true. Yeah. But well, I mean, but you're an exam. I mean, you know, you've been doing fascinating science. And of course, there's a huge public interest because of the implications. Have you been sort of, has this been thrust upon you? Has this kind of greatness been thrust upon you? Or is it, or is it something you did willingly or, or just begrudgingly? No, I don't. Th I, I didn't feel a thrust. In fact, if anything, there's a lot of uh, selective forces against it. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I see my um, colleagues, older yeah. colleagues, who will reject uh, communication yeah. uh, with journalists because it it might they might misinterpret it sure, in, sure. in a way that they can't correct it, yeah. that they can't micromanage it. Yeah. It might make them look stupid, or might make yeah. them look like they're desperate for attention, yeah. or um, you know, just a whole bunch of ways yeah, sure. that can backfire. And so there's so that was facing That's me. Right. So I was not. Uh, I didn't feel forced into it. I, I did it voluntarily. I, I sort of felt like, well, somebody's got to do it. Yeah. Uh, you can't complain that nobody understands you if you don't talk. Yeah. It, yeah. It, that nobody funds you if you don't explain. Yeah. Uh, if you don't listen, uh, yeah. that's the other thing. Is part of the part of the reason to going out there and communicating with the public is so you can listen. Is, yeah. Is, so you can learn what. If you don't say what's on your mind, you can't get the feedback that they don't like what's on your mind. You know, you don't find that out unless you unless you put it out there. And overall, I've been quite uh, either lucky or, you know, you know, in the right place at the right time, because I, I've, you know, I've had hundreds of interviews, and sure. and, uh, and I've, I look over them after the and and I'm pretty much there, accurate enough. Uh, no, I've, for my I mean, taste. I've, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we agree in that sense. On the whole, I mean, I've been distorted every now and then, but oh. but the effort is has been gratifying in many ways. And as you're pointing out, you learn as much as you give. You yeah. learn, you, you have an exposure to a different set of people than you would otherwise, yeah, right. which is really eye-opening. Yeah. And and you also learn what people are interested in. You may think, yeah. I mean, we all think, the problem is most, especially scientists, think what they're doing is incredibly interesting. <laughs> it's, uh, but, you know, people may not find it that way. And it's really right. interesting to find out that what you think is interesting may not be what right. other yeah. people right. think, right. It, right. think yeah. is, you know, is, is interesting. And so it's... Uh, I'm glad to see that. Well, I think it's important that some people, as I say, yeah. that some people. It's important. I think some people don't communicate <laughs> among our. Among There's our, a lot of self-selection. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that. Uh, I, I want to ask. By the way, you know, because your book begins with E. coli, and I, I mean, as a, as a non-biologist, I always hear about E. coli. 
Is E. coli your favorite thing? <laughs> Not particularly. Uh, probably my favorite organism is human. Uh, okay. We we do most of our studies in it. Not again, not because somebody twisted my arm, but mm. it's you know it's self obsessed uh, chauvinism. Mm. But it also you know studying the human allows you to buy time. You know, so if 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 you're endlessly curious and you want to see what the future looks like, you know you're going to do something about aging, and, yeah. and that and, and there's a limit to how much aging you can study in E. coli. Uh, e. coli was the fastest growing organism when mm -hmm. I started working on it. Mm -hmm. Since then, we found a faster one, and yeah. we've we've championed it, and we've more we've changed it, and we've made it into something which is almost as cool as E. coli. Cooler because it's faster. Mm -hmm. So you could, what you normally would take two days, you can do in an afternoon. But it's called Vibrio nitrogens. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, but it's you know they're basically it's just another E. coli. I mean they're basically you can lump them together and call them the same thing. It has it has it has its place. Uh, if it's fast, faster, why isn't it caught? Why do I hear E. coli and not hear that a lot? I mean I know well, you e. mentioned your book. E. coli started in the forties yeah, and so Vibrio started in two thousand and fifteen. Was when our first really good paper on it came out. Yeah. So, uh, okay, so it's just sort yeah. of uh, inertia. It up. If, if, it's, if it's valuable, it gets up, yeah. Yeah, well, again, natural selection in a sense in terms of the community, what works, works. It's got a lot of legacy stuff too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, you know, it's just, there's this backlog of knowledge and tools and so forth. Yeah, and uh, people want to work with what works yeah, if, it, exactly. if it ain't broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but there is a new tool and I, I want to spend, a, I'm, you know, CRISPR's changed a, a, yeah. everything. And you've been at the center of it. And so uh, I wonder, I mean, can you take us through this? I mean, how it's changed, w w your role in it, how uh, it's changed the way you operate. Uh, and then we'll talk about what it, I mean, there's you know, what it can do and what it can't do or what uh, it might do. So, yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say that CRISPR is kind of a, a placeholder, um, uh, an icon mm -hmm. for a bigger set of things. Yeah. And it's, in a certain sense, there's a whole revolution that occurred in molecular biology that many people missed. Either mm -hmm. the, the new generation missed mm -hmm. it or some journalists missed it. Mm -hmm. And so then they got they caught the CRISPR bug, mm -hmm. you know, because it has a cool name yeah, and yeah. it has some cool people involved. Yeah. And, yeah. But really it represents a number of other editing methods and then uh, and then non-editing ways of doing genetic genomic modification. Uh -huh. So uh, CRISPR and its editing uh, buddies, uh, mm -hmm. nucleases, mainly subtract. They remove stuff. Okay. Uh, they're good at it. Um, but there's addition, there's precise editing, which yeah. CRISPR isn't particularly good at yet. It's not very precise? Typically, it's low efficiency when you're trying to use it precisely. So oh. if you look at most of the gene therapies that, yeah. that use CRISPR, they're aimed at removing uh, a gene, okay. uh, knocking it out. Uh -huh. um, you can do it, especially if you're doing it in animals. But but we already had ways of doing precise editing. It goes back, <clears throat> I don't know, to the 80s at least. Oh, really? Um, <clears throat> just a little less efficient. And that's the interesting thing is people sometimes forget what a little efficiency will do. So yeah. CRISPR is maybe four times more efficient than the previous method. Uh -huh. um, maybe you know five, six times less expensive, which is a different axis than efficiency. Sure. So those two, that's enough to get people excited. But but CRISPR also represents the revolution in, in reading DNA. So it's mm. hard to edit DNA. It's hard to edit a manuscript mm. if you can't read it. Okay? Yeah, okay. And we just take for granted that we can now read things not four times more efficiently, but 10 million times more, more efficiently. Oh. And so it's like 
that somehow that message is so overwhelming, we have to say, oh, well, it's actually Christopher we're interested in. Yeah, Christopher's okay. a real hitter. Okay, so that's that's my disclaimer caveat yeah. about Christopher. Yeah. But now, now I'll say how great Christopher is. So, <laughs> so uh, it represents to me a set of tools that are out there in the biosphere. And one of the reasons that biological engineering, bio, molecular biological engineering is, is so advanced so quickly is because not only do we, do we inherit all the legacy stuff from the electronics and physics revolutions, mm -hmm. computer-aided design, uh, microfabrication, mm -hmm. and so forth, we also inherited uh, billions of years of trial and error, which resulted in these exquisite nanomachines. And that's what CRISPR is. It's a nanomachine that essentially you could program in the computer a series of 20 ACs, Gs, and Ts mm -hmm. that will take it to a corresponding uh, set of Gs, As, and Ts, and Cs in the genome and do something there. Yeah, typically cut it, typically me. cut it. So it blows me away that. And that's what this nanomachine does. And it's very complicated and it's very sophisticated and very efficient. Um, and if you tried to make that from first principles, mm -hmm. um, it, would be, it would be quite challenging. Um, and you might not even think to make it from yeah. first principles, but they're lying around. There's like an alien spacecraft that's in your backyard without yeah. too much in the way of instruction yeah. manuals, but fairly intuitive once you start playing with them. And you just harvest these things. So. So our, our role in it was um, we had made a series of ways of reading DNA, you know, like maybe 30 different ways of reading DNA, and we were involved in commercializing it. And, and that's the stuff it. that's increased by a factor of 10 million. That's the, yeah, yeah. That's the reading. Yeah, so nanopores and fluorescent. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's been hugely those important. Okay. And those, those have been, those are the kind of background without mm -hmm. that. And then that was used to discover uh, a lot of uh, of this uh, alien uh, technology, mm -hmm. witchcraft, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, that's out there. And then some of the things that, dis that, that were discovered was CRISPR was, was junk DNA. It was basically repetitive DNA yeah. that nobody knew what it did. And then eventually, once we learned what it did, it turned out to be the least junky part of the genome. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think back to the beginning of the Genome Project where everybody was trying to shut it down, uh -huh. like 90% of the people were opposed, the scientists were opposed to it because there's this junk DNA. Well, yeah. CRISPR came out of that junk. And uh, and we didn't tune into it right away, because, but what we did was we were building up a, a set of tools that allowed us to characterize editors. So we, we, we were among the first to, um, to make libraries for zinc fingers. Uh, libraries are a kind of collection of molecules sure. where you can make them systematically and by design. So you can do, do trial and error and design mm -hmm. kind of at a large scale. It's going to be millions of things in a library. So we made Zinc Finger libraries back in the, the 90s, um, and then Talons and CRISPR, and then various ways that were more precise. So those were all kind of uh, things that, that where you'll swap DNA integrases and uh, recombinases. And we were doing all that, and we were ready. We were just ready for anything like CRISPR to come along. It's, right. it's not like it, it came as a total surprise to us. We were t totally ready. So within weeks of us, you know, reading the literature, mm. we could pop it into our pipeline for developing new technologies, and it worked right away. And the fact that it worked that easily said, "Oh, well, this is going to be easy to get other people to use it as well." And uh, and then we started thinking about off-target. And so in our very, very first paper, we did a bunch of things that nobody else was doing, which was we did it in normal cells. So everybody was just doing it in normal, abnormal cells. Uh -huh. We did it, uh, we did, looked for off-target versus uh, 
using computer program. We made you libraries. say off target just for everyone. So yeah, so you the little 20 ACs, Gs, and Ts that tells yeah. it where to go. Yeah. Well, it's not like a guided missile where it just like goes right to the right place. It actually knocks on six oh, billion doors. Yeah. And sometimes knocking on the same door over and over, even yeah. though it's the wrong door, until yeah. it finally finds the right door and then it cuts. Every now and then it'll say, I'm so tired. You know, I've knocked on so many doors. This door's yeah. close enough. Yeah. And it'll make uh, a cut uh, there uh, okay. and that'll be off target. Right. Okay. And uh and so anyway, we 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 wrote software that that in in their very first paper on CRISPR. Well, uh, it's software you wrote, you say? Well, in, in addition to other things, yeah, there was yeah. software that said, don't just look on target. Don't just write the 20 bases that will take you to where you want to hit. Uh -huh. Think about the whole genome. Uh -huh. And that's partly because we came from reading the whole genome. Yeah. We figured, let's look at the whole genome, see if there's something nearby that it uh -huh. could get into trouble with. And if there is, then adjust the on target to some other place that doesn't have an off target that I goes see. with it. So the computer can kind of figure so that you, out. You, well, so you look for, you find in some sense what you look for. If, you're, if you ask better questions, yeah. then you can use this tool more efficiently. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you want to talk about this or not, but because I don't know, I've, I've, I was a little confused. I mean, so there's this big patent thing, right, yeah. which you're involved yeah. in, and yeah. which, as far as I can tell, you guys came out on top. Uh, and uh, yeah. and uh, is that because of the determining the utility of the of the technology and 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 developing the techniques to be able to use it effectively? These software techniques, or I, I was not that involved. Uh, because I felt it was a tempest in a teapot. Is mm -hmm. most uh, most useful things, mm -hmm. you know, like this microphone mm -hmm. or a cell phone or something, false thousands of pounds. Yeah, and nobody really, you know, they they cross license. You know, yeah. I, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, the 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 we'll get the microphone license together with the like the uh, the 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 keyboardless yeah. uh, screen and yeah. you know so forth and. I felt the same thing was going to happen in CRISPR. And sure, sure enough, there are three CRISPR companies within a few blocks of each other here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And, you know, they're pretty pretty much all healthy and they they have different founders. You know, I'm involved in two of them. And, you know, they, they don't need to worry that much about intellectual property. In fact, I tell all the people in my lab, I say, you know, don't worry about infringing. You know, that's... That's your showing respect to the past. You know, it, it's 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 like citation. You cite previous work, and you and you build on top of it. Stand on yeah, the shoulders yeah, of giants. Yeah. And the same thing's true of CRISPR. By the time the dust settles on, you know, we have patents, and and there are various other ones. But by the time the dust settles on CRISPR patents, still be. It'll be replaced by something else. You know, this too will change, right? Just like CRISPR replaced yeah. talents, which which, you know, uh, will probably come back. Okay. Well, look. Okay, but we're in the we're in the rapidly changing situation. And again, I, look, I, I I asked you a hard question about what life would be like in hundred years, which is a yeah. question I wouldn't want to answer. Yeah. It's these uh, it, making predictions about the future is notoriously difficult, which is why but it's as I tell people, it's yeah, I tell people I only do it for two, you know two billion years in the future minimum because then it's easier. <laughs> but um, but what? But CRISPR is changing, yeah. and people are afraid. Yeah. As people always are of new things. Yeah. And. I guess I was going to ask you if it, what would you see any limits? Do do you see any? Yeah. Where where do you see it going or potentially? What, does it worry you or are there inherent limits in what you think you can do or or is it or is it limitless and you do what you will be able to do and create virtually whatever we want? Yeah, I'm, well, first of all, I I try not to reassure people. I mean, yeah. I, I'm I I worry as well. I worry about yeah. every new technology, not just yeah. biotechnologies. Sure. sure. And and I try to see as far in the f 
as, as possible in terms of futures, plural. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, I'm not trying to predict the future. Yeah, I'm trying to predict futures. many of them. And and then we can pick the one we like the best. We yeah. can try to pick the one we like best. But it, I doubt that it's limitless. I mean, there's certainly laws of physics that will limit yeah, it, you yeah. know, Heisenberg and yeah, yeah, second well, law and, was, uh, and so forth, but uh, speed of light. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, and it's also limited in a certain sense by competing methods, right? So not just competing methods doing editing, uh-huh. but competing methods doing everything. So yeah. people talk about the enhanced human. Well, we're incredibly enhanced. We're yeah. transhuman mm-hmm. in the sense that we do things that our ancestors and even people that live today that haven't experienced technology, you know, in isolated communities, uh, wouldn't understand. They wouldn't understand why uh, LIGO was an interesting physics experiment. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, yeah. it would just blow their mind, yeah, right? Yeah. And why why we care about social networks on this little piece of, of you know, glass and metal. Yeah. And, and, uh, and you know, why we're so, worked up about uh, going to Mars, you know? It's just okay. a little dot of yeah. light that doesn't do anything except maybe helps me do celestial navigation <laughs> when I get lost. Uh-huh. And uh, so we have uh, enormously changed. So, so the limitations on synthetic biology is uh, that so many things have already we've already done, you know? Mm-hmm. So like people say, well, we could expand so we can see more than just red to blue. Mm-hmm. Well, we already can see everything from gamma rays yeah. to, to radio waves. Yeah, yeah. We can see the whole, uh, yeah. and we can image it if we want. We yeah. can see it in 3D. Yeah, you we know? do. All the observations uh, from satellites, yeah, yeah, like exactly. false color images. And we can see uh, very tiny things and very distant things. Yeah. Our our senses are, lim- are only limited by physics. Yeah. And so, therefore, why should biology intervene yeah. to do something better than that, right? And you can say, well, it can make us super strong. We're always super strong. It's like, you know, if I want to be strong, I use a forklift. Yeah, you know, yeah. If if I want to run fast, I get on a jet. Yeah. You know, I'll out I'll outrun even your most advanced uh, genetically engineered uh, cheetah. Yeah. So what we're what we're limited, to, what we're restricted to that we can't already do some other way, is probably um, health. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we want to be robust for as many years as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to be youthful, basically. Yeah. And then maybe intelligence. We want to be able to design the next set of yeah. physics, uh-huh. right? Because it's mostly physics and chemistry that are that are amazing. And the biology is just, we're a, a particularly good computer. Yeah. Yeah, we're fat, amazingly good at compressing, mm-hmm. throwing out a lot of garbage data we don't yeah. need. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, then thinking, thinking big thoughts. Yeah. Uh, we're good at that. Uh, and that's it. That's it. Pretty much living uh, youthful, productive uh, lives with, with better brains. That's, that's all that's left to us. Everything else is physics and chemistry. <laughs> well, well, it's interesting to hear you say that. Yeah. I've, you know, I used to say that when I taught physics that we do quantum mechanics and say, well, okay, today we're going to do all of chemistry. And then, you know, the rest <laughs> is just details. <laughs> but uh, um, I've, thought about a lot of things you've been talked about and 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 that are interesting possibilities. So I thought maybe we just go through some of the interesting specific possibilities that you've talked about. Yeah. And one that I was always fascinated that you first brought up to me and I again was reading in your book but is um plastics. As yeah. it's, I feel like the yeah. Dustin Hoffman movie at the beginning. Oh, right. of the, yeah. yeah. But uh, uh the graduate. But um the notion that 
that uh, life can make plastics in, and that'll be very useful. You can yeah. engineer life, but why, why, why don't you talk about that? For well, so plastics is, uh, I think we can do so much better than plastics, yeah, first yeah. of all. I mean, you know, uh, even when we were writing the book, I, that, that was, that particular chapter was initiated by my co-author, Ed Regis. Mm -hmm. And I sort of felt like he was emphasizing biodegradable plastics. Mm -hmm. And I actually think there's something to be said for non-degradable yeah, plastics. Yeah, you were the first person that, that <laughs> made me realize that that was probably very useful, so. Yeah, yeah so I mean, the thing is where, uh, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about, like that are solutions to uh, climate change yeah. are really just uh, pushing things around a little bit yeah. or maybe delaying the inevitable a little bit. Yeah. But if you could sequester carbon into something useful, yeah. uh, like asphalt or, or non-degradable plastics, you could build bridges between the continents, you could build new yeah, islands. I remember you first told me bridge across the Pacific. Yeah. <laughs> build new islands. <laughs> that's and I bold. think I think that's uh, more interesting. Furthermore, we can make polymers that are smarter than what we normally think of yeah. as plastics. Uh, almost all of life are, bio, are polymers mm -hmm. that yeah. are very smart. You know, yeah. they, the skin repairs itself. Yeah. Imagine if everything in the world was as good at, at skin will keep out little pathogens. You know, things we can't even see, it will yeah. keep them out effectively. What if all of our buildings and all of our tables and chairs and everything were as smart as our skin is, or smarter, right? And almost everything in life is atomically precise. We, yeah. we aspire to that with our non-biological yeah. engineering. Yeah. Our, but biology is already there. It makes things atomically precise. And I so I think the future of plastics, uh, you know, <laughs> from the graduate, yeah. is smart, uh, infinitely complex, uh, atomically precise objects. So basically everything should have the power, just like your cell phone now has the power of a room-sized computer, yeah. your materials will have the power of a cell phone. Every, every little voxel, every little pixel, every mm -hmm. a little square centimeter will be like a computer was. Well, that's an ama that's, yeah. that'll be fascinating. Uh, the, you know, it's interesting uh, when you talk about atomic precision because the forefront of uh, one of the forefronts of physics right now is yeah. is it's amazing to be able to manipulate single atoms yeah. and and try and utilize and maybe create new materials, uh, yeah. non-life material, but m new materials and and manipulate atoms. And yeah. uh, but you're absolutely right. Life's been doing that so oh, yeah. effectively absolutely. for billions of years. Yeah. We uh, we yeah. need to we, take we it. can move atoms around with about. 10 to the minus ninth precision. It's yeah. not perfect, but it's yeah. pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, let's. And by the way, and, and say, with and with close to theoret theoretical thermodynamics too. Yeah. So we can we can store a bit of information at you know within a factor of eight of the thermodynamic limit wow, uh, of really, bit really, storage. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, yeah, in fact, I, I remember reading about that when you were talking. So we'll we'll talk about computers but in a in a second i i was going to uh, i was interested in how you were talking about storage and and processing and using dna for that which is actually i mean dna is actually just a fancy kind of yeah. you know uh, molecular storage uh, molecular storage and a, and and software and 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 manipulated by 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 that kind of hardware um and I should say, when just so that people who hadn't thought thought as quickly through this, is that the point of of non biodegradable plastics that might be useful is that, I mean, obviously the basis of plastics, like the basis of all organic life, is carbon, and you can extract carbon dioxide 
from the atmosphere by, by in some ways through organisms and turn it into something which is ultimately totally sequestered, which won't go back into the atmosphere. That means you, in principle, could work against the, the buildup of greenhouse gases, just so. Oh, just yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you I, unpacked it very nicely. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'll unpack it even further, which is that the amount of photosynthesis we do every year on the planet, mm-hmm. uh, most of it occurring in the ocean with yeah. invisible organisms, yeah. is enough to take us back to pre-industrial carbon levels in the atmosphere in a few years. That's how, that's how potent our current uh, ecosystems are. And we just need to figure out where to store it. And, yeah. you, know, uh, you don't want to store it in, one proposal was to, to add iron and then have all the carbon drop to the bottom of the yeah. ocean. A, that's inaccessible. B, it's going to take a lot of nitrogen and phosphorus with them, yeah. which are, or especially the phosphorus, which is a, not really a renewable resource yeah, the yeah. way we're using it. Instead, the the tundra, so 19 million square kilometers, is storing more carbon than the rest of the world put together. And it's at risk, but the form is a, mon, a, a semi-non-biodegradable polymer, which is cellulose, which is yeah. in the roots that yeah. go down. Most of the carbon out, out in the regular part of the world here, the non-permafrost yeah. is about a meter thick, yeah. and then it, and there's almost nothing. But there, it's 500 meters thick, right? Yeah. And it's uh, this is uh, a lot of carbon, um, and it's and it's unfortunately it's it's non-biodegradable while it's frozen. But it's very biodegradable, and it turns into methane, which yeah. is 28 times worse than carbon dioxide. Yeah, which is a huge, huge yeah. problem. And the the exponential, the the fact that all a lot of these problems are exponential, or at least nonlinear. That you mm-hmm. once it starts to melt, you produce more. But of mm-hmm. course, the effect of more methane is to is to make is to yep. make more melt. And and yep. amen- and so when people think in the far future, things can happen very very quickly. Yeah. And there can be a phase transition that it just and we and it's not clear whether when where the tipping point is and how close we are to it right now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it could you know if you uh, re- so a lot of the methane is 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 in a metastable form where it just can literally bubble out of yeah. the uh, out of the ocean or the lakes yeah. Yeah. uh you could get really big bursts and so when we say that something's thousands of year or 100 years or 50 years away we don't we don't have yeah. confidence there and the and as Clint Eastwood would say do you feel lucky punk you <laughs> yeah. know it's like yeah. i don't feel that lucky yeah, about me methane yeah no and I'm, so, I'm and and the other thing that i think that gets people st- that don't that d- denial mm-hmm. denial has to do with inconvenience, yeah. and I think Gore had it slightly wrong, yeah. which is the inconvenient truth is not a slogan; yeah. it is the problem. Yeah. Uh, and what we need to do is make it more convenient. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I think there are various natural processes that we could harness that wouldn't necessarily require us giving up our SUVs yeah. or getting you know big government uh, handouts yeah. uh, that we need to. We need to think about those uh, those alternatives. As you say, this inconvenient aspect is a, is a is is a key question. Most people, the problem. I mean, as a scientist, uncertainty, of course, is a central. What I, people don't realize is that uncertainty is a central part of science. It's not yeah. what science overcomes; it's the basis yeah. of science because right. we can quantify our uncertainty. Yeah. But when people talk about, well, these predictions are this or that, and I don't believe. In the question it seems to me that we need to ask is, well, this is a possibility. Yeah. How how much money are you willing to spend? To avoid that possibility, right. because yeah. if it ha- if that possibility happens, it's devastating. So yeah. the question, I mean, and you know, compare it to grounding all the all the seven thirty seven max eights that yeah. is that happening because a few people died. I mean, it's not as it's tragic that they died, but tens of millions of people 
you know, fly in them every day, yeah. and and yet that risk was enough to cause people to yeah. to the the risk we're, of one in ten not, million. We're not really good at public health risk assessment. Exactly. Uh, we worried about three thousand people. Yeah. When that day, more people mm-hmm. died for other causes, and 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 fifty million of us die every year. Okay, yeah. so that should put the. If you really want to get worked up about three thousand people, think about the. A million people are dying every year from malaria or yeah. vitamin A deficiency or that sort of thing, and, and I think that the the part of the inconvenience is the finger pointing aspect. It's just like you're the villain because you've got the biggest smokestacks, yeah. and really the villain is probably somebody fifteen thousand years ago <laughs> who slaughtered all the herbivores <laughs> in the Arctic, and <laughs> or, or, some, or some other yeah, thing yeah, like interesting, that. Interesting. And okay. so stop pointing the finger. It's like if an asteroid were aiming towards Earth right mm-hmm. now, you might say, an asteroid's, you know, never bothered me. Why should we worry <laughs> about the asteroids, you know? I'm not even sure that the asteroid mm-hmm. killed off the dinosaurs, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. You know, the scientists are still debating this, so we don't need to worry about that <laughs> asteroid right there because while they're still debating the dinosaur <laughs> asteroid. And I say... Hey, get a grip. It's just let's just take out that asteroid. <laughs> you know, it's like you don't have to point a finger as to who's responsible for yeah, that asteroid. You know, it's like yeah. it's like the sm- biggest smokestack didn't cause that asteroid. It's yeah. just let's have some heroes take it out. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, I okay, good. And and um, existential risk. I mean, I, I, is something that that we've talked about. I was very proud to bring you into the board of sponsors of the Bolton Atomic Scientists when, no. I, when I chaired that and. And uh, but I want let's talk about something more positive than 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 um, well. This is positive. Life. You can do something about it yeah. by by uh, engineering photosynthetic organisms. Exactly. You can do it by engineering uh, herbivores that 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 will craft the 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 Arctic like they used to fifteen thousand years ago. Those are things that could be very low cost. So, for example, we've re reinstalled. Uh, almost extinct bison to 500 million, mm-hmm. sorry, 500,000 worldwide. And they're, they're doing their thing. They're doing their gardening uh, without a lot of micromanagement, a lot of government, without government handouts. Well, I think that, you know, I, I've s- said repeatedly, and I think it's the case, it's all, this, the problem of global warming is, is two parts or climate change and more generally is, is there's a, there's a societal part and a technological part. And yeah. I think it's just a lot easier to do technology than it is oh, to, yeah. to, to change society. And so yeah. I'm, all technology my, all does, my votes it's, are- It's the only the, thing that does change society, yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah exactly. Yeah, so in between technological revolutions, you have a bunch of people like moving around the <laughs> shell game, <laughs> yeah, acting yeah. like they're controlling things, but but really it's the technological yeah. revolution. So, the, I, yeah. so the technology is gonna be key and, and whether it's mediation or avoidance, it'll, we'll, we'll see. But but uh, there are other technologies that you've talked about that I at least want to touch on in the time in some of the time remaining, and then maybe end up with some more general questions. Uh, reversal of aging. You talk yeah. about aging. Yeah. I know that's one of the things you're thinking about. Yeah. We want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Right. So uh, there's a lot of wishful thinking that yeah. I try to avoid. You yeah. know, like oh, all it is is I have to change my lifestyle a little bit, run yeah. a, run a few more steps, yeah. uh, uh, eat or don't eat yeah. uh, something. Uh, I I think it's more complicated than that, but it's not. It's not daunting. Mm-hmm. It, it's just complicated. It's like you know, a jet is complicated. You, yeah, you're not going to reduce it down to a sliver of of uh, you know of, of plastic. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's and so in age aging, we have a big body of knowledge. It's not like it's a, a mystery. Um, uh, mostly derived from m- tiny model organisms, worms and flies and so forth. And we just harvest that information. We're turning it into gene therapies to t- tackle 
all the known, you know, like nine major pathways of uh, biochemical pathways of aging. And we just tackle them all at once with a very small number of gene therapies. And we tested it on mice and dogs and humans. And so that's, that's one approach mm -hmm. that I think is uh, relatively easy. And we're making some progress on it. Do you, well, it'd be interesting to see if people have argued about an upper limit on on lifetimes. I, hmm. I kind of, I mean, because it's fascinating to me to think of the social implications of if you could double the human lifetime, yeah. then then society has to restructure itself completely, right? Because it's based on a working lifetime, of, right? And, and then you've got to worry about. But well, I think I would. I mean, professors, you, you don't want work, them to be. Why wouldn't you work for two hundred years? Exactly, uh, yeah. I agree, and we can't have that because you don't want to have a tenured professor for two hundred years because the young assistant professor is not going to wait want to wait a hundred years to get a physician. And I don't see why they can't both have a physician. It will be interesting. I, I mean, it's, uh, this it's, question it's not, of how it's not you, a zero thumb game. No, it's not. But society, <laughs> uh, you know, has to somehow restructure the way it, the oh, way it yeah, works. There's definitely we're going to be restructuring anyway. Yeah. We restructure every whether we like change or not. You can. It's pretty much guaranteed. Well, uh, we're we're radically different culturally than we were when I was just when I was growing up. Well, let, let's hit a, you know I've, uh, another topic that I was ho hoping to get to, it, uh, um, which <coughs> you've written about and I think about, which is AI, the the, the artificial intelligence, because yeah. that of course will. What people don't realize is those changes are going to happen, yeah. and we have a choice. There's zero doubt. It seems to me. Um, I mean, AI isn't very artificial in the first place. It's a, yeah. but but. But it is going to change our. It already has changed our society. Yeah. It will change our society, and it will mean there's no doubt that what we would now call machines are going to be able to do most jobs better than people. I think so. We have, a, and that's going to produce a social issue. Uh, is it going to be that the few companies that have control AI basically control all the resources, or are we going to say, yeah, it's great that those the the old Keynesian argument that it's going to be great that it's going to be great that these machines are doing that. We have chances for you and I to hang around coffee shops and listen to music and have interesting discussions, which is, I think, what Keynes said would first happen when machines were, were you know, the basis of, yeah. of, of the economy. But that's going to be a social question, and I'm not optimistic that we'll be able to guide things in the right direction. I don't know whether you... And, and so we, if we talk about aging, I'm not optimistic that it won't first cause a lot of... At least first cause a lot of displacement and, and, yeah. and problems and... But maybe you're more optimistic about how we might. I, I try not to be optimistic. Right. Uh, you know, I, I try to think about all the things that can go wrong. Yeah. And and part of the reason that 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 the disasters don't happen first mm -hmm. is because a lot of people have visualized those disasters and mm -hmm. avoid them. You know, like Y2K. What a fizzle! That was that yeah. was nothing. Yeah, I remember. But maybe it was nothing because we spent so much time messing around with it. Okay. Maybe. Uh, or you know. There's safety. There's a whole safety engineering in almost every discipline of engineering. Right? Yeah. Civil engineering, electrical yeah. engineering. You know, little UL codes yeah. on your on your wires. Yeah. You know, it's it's why we want to anticipate things. Uh, well, as I agree. Well as we I can. mean, it's why we want to have these discussions. Why we want yeah. people to think about. It. And it seems to me, ultimately, why we want the public to think about these things because some of them are going to require at least legislative. Reaction yeah. and that and governments are relieved they follow yeah. and so if your public is sort of completely ignorant of what the questions are, yeah. the politicians can afford to ignore them too. It seems to me, at right. least from my experience. Yeah, but again, ultimately the public is voting with their wallet, yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. they aren't necessarily informed beyond the Consumer Reports yeah. uh, or the Amazon Star rating. But the point is, they they are informed in a, in a way that's very practical. Um, 
just like in engineering, we don't need to understand everything in order to make a, yeah. a revolution like smallpox. We didn't understand yeah. virology or immunology, but it was still a revolution. Um, same thing goes when we purchase things in the marketplace. We don't necessarily have to know all the ramifications yeah. of it. Somebody, hopefully, is paying attention to the ramifications, the long-term ramifications. But in the end, as things long before things become disastrous, they have semi small disasters where one person will be hurt. Yeah. Uh, and then you'll say, ooh, oh, we completely forgot or or we weren't listening to yeah. this person over here that has been telling us for years yeah. that somebody's going to get hurt. And before a million people get hurt, one person got hurt. Um, and I think that there's a feedback loop. I don't think that, that uh, aging reversal is necessarily going to have, you know, bad consequences right away. I, I agree. But there are, I can imagine things where you don't have that interim time, very much time for that to go from one to a million. And AI well, may, be, yeah. may be one well, such. I th so I think with AI, um, well, first of all, it's a gigantic assumption yeah, right. that we're going to continue to use, um, you know, gold and silicon and yeah, those sort sure. of things. I think it's just as likely we switched over to atomically precise computing, which is, this, yeah, this is, I mean, brains. we already have brains they that will they work reconf they, they will re not only reprogram themselves overnight, mm -hmm. they will change their hardware. Mm -hmm. They will synthesize new hardware in C2 all the time, okay? Yeah, now, they're not the fastest thing in the world, but on the other hand, it's not clear that this is a speed issue. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But if we need to do speed, we'll make various hybrid systems mm -hmm. um, where, um, where the speed is handled. Um, you know, storage, you know, we're, we're notoriously poor at storage, but in a way that's our superpower too, is that we, we're really good at compressing and the compression is part of the, the, the thinking part, the, the out-of-the-box thinking is how we compress. But if we do decide we want to store a lot of stuff, DNA is a great storage device. We could fit the entire internet into our cranium yeah, yeah. You know, if we really wanted to. Um, so I'm not convinced that artificial intelligence is going to be superior. It's not superior yet, and we're going, f the biological revolution mm -hmm. is going faster. Moore's law is kind of plateauing, yeah. at least in terms of miniaturization, yeah. and biology is almost going vertical in its, ex in its uh, exponential. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not, as I've often said, I, I don't think artificial intelligence is so artificial. It's, and it's not gonna, if we incorporate the brain, it's certainly not gonna be considered that. And the fact that the brain, uh, from a physics perspective, what always amazed me is there's something the brain does very well, which is if you took a, a conventional electronic computer and tried to do the storage and memory and the processing power of the human brain, the power it would use would be something like 10 terabytes, which is the power used by a whole of humanity. We use 10 watts or 20 watts in yeah. our brain. There's a factor of 10 to the 12th different. We're, we're doing something oh. much more efficient. Yes, efficiency Speaking, is yeah. something we're good at. Well, yeah. there's so many things I want to talk about, but you yeah. mentioned thinking, you know, ultimately thinking outside the box. And I hope yeah. people realize from yeah. our, our discussion, it seems to me when we think of people who think outside the box that that you're just one of the best examples. I always love thinking outside the box with you. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, sure. The Origins Podcast is produced by Lawrence Krauss, Nancy Dahl, Amelia Huggins, John and Don Edwards, and Rob Zepps. Directed and edited by Gus and Luke Holwerda. Audio by Thomas Amison. Web design by Redmond Media Lab. Animation by Tomahawk Visual Effects. And music by Rickolis. To see the full video of this podcast, as well as other bonus content, visit us at patreon.com slash originspodcast.